Welcome to A Walk on the Wise Side. This is the fifth podcast in the series, and the first of two podcasts on a coming together of great mindfulnesses. In these podcasts, we will give you some great life questions and some even greater life answers. My name is Dr. Stephen McKenzie, and I am a Senior Lecturer in Psychological Sciences at the University of Melbourne. With me is Dr. Nicholas von Dam, who is also a Senior Lecturer in Psychological Sciences at the University of Melbourne. Welcome, Nicholas. Thank you, Stephen. So today, we're going to be doing something a bit different than has previously happened in this podcast, and we're going to be interviewing a series of speakers on some really broad questions, and we've selected these speakers on the basis of their credentials and their background in a variety of wisdom traditions. And we hope that in listening to what these speakers have to say, as Stephen mentioned, you'll get a real sense of answers and possibly questions, which I think are more interesting than the answers, to some of the really important questions, the big questions that we face in today's day-to-day experiences. So we've invited some experts from some great life wisdom traditions to give us some tastes of truth. And these questions are, what does the human world really need now? And how can your tradition or system really help people live well now? Associate Professor Craig Hazard is from the Monash University Medical Faculty and is an internationally known expert in mindfulness and a pioneer for its use in the medical world and beyond. Craig has published many research papers and books on the benefits of mindfulness, including Mindfulness for Life, The Freedom Trap, and The Essence of Health. Welcome, Craig. It's nice to be with you, uh, Stephen. So the question is, what does the human world really need now? I think, in brief, there are two intimately related things. So from a mindfulness perspective, we need to wake up and we need wisdom. Now, these days, I think we're mostly sleepwalking and living in a virtual world. So despite unprecedented material affluence, we're increasingly ruled by unhelpful emotions, anger, reactivity, anxiety, depression. So mental health is poor. Cynicism, dispirited, addictions to all sorts of things in daily life these days. And we're increasingly ruled by technology, the technological world, social media. So we're on one level very connected and yet we're isolated, numbed by media, I think easily manipulated, distracted by technology. And we're sort of more aware of our virtual selves rather than our real or authentic selves. And increasingly, I think we're disconnected from self and others. We can cancel anybody we disagree with, for example, which is not such a healthy um, cultural change. So we're divided and polarised in conflict. And in many ways, the the West um, hell-bent on destroying our own culture from the inside out. To paraphrase Churchill on Lenin, the purpose to save the world, the method to blow it up. So I think we're kind of uh, not tracking in a good direction just at the moment collectively. And we struggle to cope with reality or tell reality from reality television, imagination, fake news. And we need to find ways to master ourselves, our own mind and emotions, to focus our attention, to control our impulses and addictions. So, and perhaps Carl Jung, to quote Carl Jung on meaning, and in an age where materialism rules, so restlessness begets meaninglessness. And the lack of meaning in life is a soul sickness whose full extent and full import our age has not yet begun to comprehend. 
So I think that we need wisdom. And in a secular, increasingly sort of negatively religious sort of world, you know, or anti-religious world, for many people, the respectable way to find wisdom is through mindfulness. So I think mindfulness is one thing that could really help the world a lot at the moment. So how can this tradition help people to live well? I think there's a lot of benefits that come from being more mindful. It helps us to wake up and to be more aware, not only of ourselves, but what's going on around us, to cultivate compassion, non-attachment, acceptance, you know, even of discomfort and ambiguity and that there are differences in the world, so to help to foster more tolerance. And if we do this on a regular basis, it can help us to be less easily deceived or manipulated, to foster better mental and emotional health. We can become masters of ourselves, our emotions, mind, our attention, but also to help us to connect with others. That sort of sense of unity and connection and the, the great diversity of life appreciated, but underneath it to have a sense of oneness, to help us to communicate better with others to make better, more rational decisions. As the Greeks said, to know thyself, or Socrates, the essence of knowledge is self-knowledge. And so I think if we can find meaning, become more mindful, then we might be a little bit wiser. I think we need that as individuals, but I think we need it very much collectively. Well, thanks, Craig. That's great. Timothy Goddard, otherwise known as Tim, has worked in private practice for 25 years as a psychotherapist, educator, and workplace trainer, having trained in humanistic, psychodynamic, and body-based psychotherapy, as well as mindfulness-based stress reduction, acceptance and commitment therapy, mindfulness-based cognitive therapy, and mindfulness-informed cognitive behavioral therapy. Since 2007, she has been offering MBSR training and supervision for health professionals. She's a longtime student of yoga, Aikido, and meditation, and practices in the inside tradition. She's the director of Open Ground, an Australia-wide network of clinicians and teachers offering mindfulness programs. Welcome, Tim. Hi, Nicholas. I want to speak a little bit about mindfulness-based stress reduction in the context of this question about how do we help people live well now. Yeah, MBSR is kind of fairly pragmatic and it kind of asks of us this question of, What's an appropriate response to my stress and distress in my world right now? Because a lot of our old responses have come out of our history and our habits and the way our families did things, come out of our education our, and also the kind of random shocks and losses that have come our way in life. All sorts of causes and conditions that we didn't choose and maybe don't even have any relevance anymore. So. In mindfulness meditation, and especially in this kind of program where we do quite intensive practice, like up to an hour a day for eight weeks, it's pretty full on, pretty demanding. But it kind of takes that practice, I think, to learn how to attend to our stress in a new way, a direct way. So learning really how to pay attention with some precision and care and open-heartedness to our body sensations, our emotions, our thoughts, our behaviours. And giving over space and time to do this. So no rush. What we normally do in response to our stress and our distress in our lives is to try and avoid it. It's really natural. And we can do this through intellectualising or criticising ourselves, dismissing it, numbing it with alcohol or busyness or eating, or sometimes just being really flooded by it, overwhelmed by it and having no clarity. 
So in a mindfulness training like this, instead of pushing away experience we don't like, we're really learning a systematic way of bringing an observant and compassionate stance towards all of this experience, even the unpleasant bits. And I find it quite radical. And over and over, when people are able to really give over time and space to recognise and allow and investigate this stress that normally we would just want to diss, when we stop the struggle with ourselves, stop criticising ourselves, it really gets the chance to have more clarity and to have more choice in the moment about our responses. That's pretty liberating that in a short amount of time we can have more spaciousness and and really cultivate a different relationship with ourselves and our pain. And in response to this second part, what does the human world really need now? Oh, that's a bit overwhelming. I suppose I feel that most of us are paying attention to the wrong things probably in order to be happy. And I think in some way COVID has been a big pause button on business as usual. And I'm very aware of the kind of climate and ecological challenges that are coming to each of our neighbourhoods soon. And what to do, how to respond is the big question, how to take charge of my little patch and also our bigger patches. And I wanted to finish with a bit of a joke, really, if that's okay. It's a little piece from a poet who maybe was asking this question, how the hell, what do we need right now in this world? He's called Han Shan. And he lived a thousand years ago and he says this, he says, we're just like bugs in a bowl all day going round and round, never leaving their bowl. That's right. Every day climbing up the steep sides, sliding back over and over again, around and around, up and back down again. Well, we can sit in the bottom of the bowl, head in our hands. We can cry and moan and feel sorry for ourselves. Or we could look around. We could see our fellow bugs walk around, say, hey, how are you doing? You could say, nice bowl. So that's my little uh, poetic answer to that huge question. <laughs> Thanks, Tim, for those wonderful uh, comments and also for that uh, a bit of levity uh, in a much-needed time. Petra Carney is an independent Dharma teacher in the lineage of Mahasa Sayadaw. He has trained extensively in the Mahasi approach to insight meditation, and is also trained in the Diamond Sangha lineage of Zen Buddhism. Patrick has an interest in the original teachings of the Buddha, Buddhism, as it were, before Theravada or Mayana were ever thought of. He studies Pali, the language of the earliest surviving Indian recension of the Buddhist teachings, and seeks to bring its understanding of the early texts to the practice of the Dharma in the contemporary world. Patrick offers guided teachings via a number of centres in Australia. Welcome, Patrick. Hello. It's good to be here. So addressing these questions about what do we need under current circumstances, if we ask ourselves what's different now, well, clearly pandemic is one thing, and the loss of familiar rhythms, the loss of familiar routines, and along with that, a growing sense of insecurity that's coming up in all sorts of ways, individually and socially. The sense that's kind of seems to be getting stronger over time, that what previously we could take for granted, we can't anymore. And so, again, this sense of insecurity and other things are adding to it. So the insecurity, for example, generated by climate change. So we've 
just gone through a horrendous bushfire season. It's been virtually forgotten because we're so busy with the current crisis. And yet we know the next bushfire season is just around the corner. So looking at this, this situation, this time of crisis, if we ask what is needed now, well, obviously political and social responses to these problems, but at an individual level, uh, perhaps what's needed is a sense of resilience and inner balance for us as individuals and as communities to face what we're going through. So the question might become, what are the inner resources that I can bring to my current situation? This question becomes increasingly important. And especially, what can I do in a situation where my normal social activities are curtailed? As a, uh, a mindfulness meditation teacher, there's one thing which is kind of bleeding obvious to me, and that's, well, mindfulness practice. Because mindfulness practice, as the Buddha designed it, is meant as a way of accessing and developing our inner resources. At the centre of the Buddha's project is an ethical project. How can we live well and happily over the long term? And for him, at the centre of this project lies the cultivation of qualities of one's own heart and mind. One fundamental assumption that the Buddha makes, which is relevant here, is this assumption that life is inherently insecure. And the Buddha is quite clear about this. He doesn't try to sugarcoat it in any way. Life has always been inherently insecure. It will always be inherently insecure. That's, this is just a fixture of the human condition. The very work we engage in to make ourselves secure reveals our intuitive sense of the insecurity that lies just beneath the surface. So, for example, the, the, perhaps the key example that the Buddha gives is the inherent insecurity of a body subject to aging, sickness and death. Now, for the Buddha, the response to insecurity is not found in denying it or in trying to create conditions that are somehow immune to insecurity, but rather in what could be called meditation practice and in ethics. And these two are meant to work together. So if you look at mindfulness or meditation, uh, the Buddha talks about it in terms of serenity and insight. So serenity means cultivating the stability and the strength of the heart and mind that enables us to live through times of trouble. And insight is using uh, meditation and mindfulness to see into our own reactions and our responses to the changing conditions of our lives. So cultivating the capacity to flow with the changes in our experience through continuous awareness, maintaining a felt balance between clinging to what we see as desirable and rejecting what we see as undesirable. And the quality that is cultivated through this is what the Buddha calls upekā, are usually translated equanimity, but um, literally an intimate witnessing. So being intimate with the experience of our life, but not getting entangled with it, there's a suggestion of just that slight distance. And this ideally creates a foundation for an ethical life. And just noting that for the Buddha, ethical means any activity that contributes to psychological and social harmony. And this enables us 
to live in such a way that we enhance our own welfare and happiness over time, along with the welfare and happiness of those around us. So we have the inner resources that enable us to live in such a way. Thank you for that, Patrick. Marita Brewster is from the School of Philosophy, an organisation that offers people around the world various practical ways of applying philosophical principles to daily life and the pursuit of truth, including from the philosophy of Plato. Welcome, Marita. Uh, thank you, Stephen. Um, well, the question you've asked me to address is, what does the human world need now? I would say a shift in a point of view. And that's not just where you're looking from, but also what you're looking at. And if we go to Plato, Plato describes four different levels of maybe you could call it the world or the being. So he says there's a world of shadows, there's a world of things, like things that are made, and then he talks about the world of the mind. And what we tend to miss is the world above that, a world of principle. That's what he calls or is sometimes referred to as the world of forms. So you've got a dream world, a material world, a mental world where we hypothesise and we think and we study, and we often miss this transcendental world that's beyond all those. That's where principles lie. And I think that's one of the things that we're missing. So how can the traditions help to recover access to that world, that stable, eternal world? Well, that's what they're really equipped to do. It's a question of whether they're doing it very well. You would certainly have to wonder. Religion is in a poor state at the moment. It's not heavily subscribed to, and yet people are looking for other traditions, looking for, for ways to access that spiritual world of principle. So the traditions have the knowledge. I'd say they should be making it more available. So the things that I would prioritise would be three things I would say, meditation or mindfulness or stillness, which helps people come to rest, which gives you a chance then to shift your point of view. You can shift it then to a much more stable position. They've got the knowledge, they've got the scriptures, it's all there, it's ancient. They have to make it available. People are crying out for it. I think they're spiritually starving. And then the other aspect that I think is vital is service, caring for others, selfless service. For example, you've got a Christian tradition that says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's practical. If you make that practical, you make it real. Then you expand your being and then things like stress, anxiety can dissolve in a minute if you're actually looking after others. And just in closing, there was a book, The Closing of the American Mind by Alan Bloom. He predicted that the trouble in America started when they stopped teaching Plato in the universities. I thought that was quite an insight. So that would be my final message. Bring Plato back, study it in the universities and gain access to that true wisdom. Well, thanks, Marita. That's great. Ian Gawler was a vet who overcame a life-threatening cancer and started the Gawler Foundation for the treatment of cancer and other serious illnesses. Ian has used meditation to help heal himself and also many other people. Ian's books include You Can Conquer Cancer, The Mind That Changes Everything, and Meditation, Pure and Simple. Welcome, Ian. So, an interesting question. What does the world need right now? Well, obviously there's a need to manage the stresses accumulating around us. What with the proliferation of fake news, 
the uncertainty of climate change and the shifting world order, and now, of course, the pandemic. A very recent survey from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention in the US found 25% of young adults, 18 to 24, contemplated suicide in the last 30 days. Truly a shocking statistic, I would suggest. While 30% suffered from depression or anxiety disorders. So while these figures are shocking, I'd suggest there's more to this in what I would suggest is a deep-seated angst amongst young people arising out of a lack of confidence in what is the truth, along with an unrequited search for meaning. Both these issues, the search for truth and the search for meaning, used to reside firmly in the domain of contemplative studies. Yet here we are in a highly secularised society with contemplative studies pushed to the very fringe of academic and university life. So while there's the obvious need for the stress management and attention focus, all those benefits that come from things like the secular practice of mindfulness, my suggestion is that what is really needed at this particular time is recognition in a major way from our universities, both their administrators and academics, that students and staff who are interested in what is at the heart of the human condition be provided a forum to explore all this. Now, there are some significant centres for contemplative studies in places like Oxford and Wisconsin in the States, but how good would it be to establish one here on the Melbourne University campus? And while I've been a practising Buddhist in the Tibetan Dzogchen tradition these past 35 years, my sense is that what such a centre needs to be founded upon is what we call perennial wisdom. This wisdom elucidates those truths common to all the great religious traditions. In doing so, it provides a meeting ground that can bring together and unite people from different beliefs and faiths. And in a strange sort of way, perennial wisdom is almost secular. It is based upon the exploration of truth that goes beyond dogma, and it relies upon personal practices like mindfulness and particularly meditation. So the philosophy, the study and the knowledge provides the framework and the practice, the direct experience. So yes, let's encourage a new dialogue, encourage conversations around real truth, the search for meaning and the techniques and the practices that foster this inquiry. Thanks, Lee, and that's great. A Walk on the Wise Side is a University of Melbourne podcast. Dr. Stephen McKenzie is our host. Production by Sylvie Van Wall, with audio engineering and editing by Arch Cuthbertson. Music from Lee Rosevier. Our guest speakers include Dr. Nicholas Van Dam, Craig Hassett, Timothea Goddard, Marita Brewster, Ian Gawler, and Patrick Kearney. You can find more great audio series wherever you get your podcasts or by going to unimelb.edu.au.